Welcome to an inspirational teaching by our guest speaker of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. We were looking at the book of John. John writes the gospel for a particular reason. And he states that in John chapter 20, verse 31 and 32. And so he says here in John chapter 20, 31, 32, he says, Jesus did many miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So, we must understand where John is taking us. He's taking us to faith in Christ Jesus. And he says, I'm writing all these signs so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and in believing, you will have life. So here's, you know, in the other books or other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the miracles are there to shock and awe people. So when they saw those miracles, they said, wow, man, this was great. But in the book of John, it was to, he doesn't call them miracles, he actually calls them signs. Signs pointing out to Jesus that Jesus is the Son of God. Because when you understand Jesus being the Son of God, and He is God. Son of God means the same DNA as God. Son of an alligator is an alligator. You know that, right? It's not a duck, by the way. Son of a penguin is a penguin. So, Son of God is God. Same DNA. And in believing that He is God, He is divine, you will have life. So, let us look at John chapter 5. Now, this is the third sign given in the book. The first two signs, the first sign was changing of the water into wine, and the second sign was when he spoke to the nobleman that his son would be healed, and just spoke the word, and it was healed. Now, this is the third sign. Now, this sign is not numbered, but it is numerically the third sign given over here. Healing at the... Bethesda pool on the Sabbath. So we, we've got five points to look at. The first point is the background, verses 1 to 3. The second point is the healing itself, verses 5 to 9 and 13 and 14. And the third thing is the first charge and defense. We will come to understand that. The fourth is the second charge and defense. And the fifth is the lessons that we can draw from this chapter. It's a very important chapter, by the way. It is a unique chapter in the Bible. It's the chapter which Jesus openly says he is God himself. It's a tremendous revelation which Jesus gives the people, and of course they can't receive it. Let us look at the background. Verses 1 to 3. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. 
Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Let us give thanks to God first. Let us ask God to speak to us. Such an important chapter. Now, we don't know which festival it is. It's written over here, verses 1 to 3. It says here, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. We don't know which feast it is. But in the Greek, once again, a feast and the feast is the same thing. Now, if it is called the feast, then it's the Passover. Why is that important? I mean, it's important to the extent that if it is the Passover, then in the Bible, there were four Passovers. If there were four Passovers, then the ministry of Jesus would be between three to four years. If it was a feast, and it was not the Passover, but some other festival, then there would be only three Passovers. And in that case, Jesus' ministry between, would be between two to three years. Now, those who want to understand how things are going out in the Bible, these things are important. But otherwise, forget about it. In verse 1, verse 2, there was a pool where a lot of disabled people used to come. Now, this pool was considered to be a miraculous pool. Actually, it wasn't. But there was a stream running under the pool, and sometimes when the stream was quite fast or something, it would bubble. And if it would bubble, then people thought that if they would go into the pool, when the pool is bubbling, then they would be healed. And the legend was that there was a, actually an angel that stirred up the water. But this wasn't really true. But why these things took place? Because in the world, when people are sick, they will try anything. So people go from one city to the other to get healed, and they go here, and they go there, because, you know, when you are in trouble, you will try. Especially this man. I mean, he was 38 years as an invalid. His feet were not functioning, so he probably was on a mat, and people had to carry him. I think it was very hard. I mean, now with all the gadgets that we have, wheelchairs and everything, it's much easier. But can you imagine the poor people who don't have these gadgets, especially in those days? What a mess, what a difficulty this person was in. I mean, 38 long years of being carried up and down anywhere. I mean, so difficult to clean yourself, to wash yourself. You must understand the situation. 38 years the amazing thing about this man is that he says, I want to be healed. So he goes, whichever place he wants to, if he thinks this is the place to be healed, he'll go there. He says, send me there. He hasn't lost hope. And I think of this man, I said, my gosh, some people would have lost hope. Some people, 38 years, that's it. That's my condition. I'll give up. Well, this man did not. He goes to the pool regularly. Every day he goes there. 38 long frustration as ever because he can't help himself when the water is stirred. He can't help himself. Other people get inside. It's frustration. What frustration? And I look at this man and I say, what frustration is in this man? And yet he had hope. Verses 5 to 9. One 
who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? The invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Verse 9, at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews, I'll think of this person, his, Jesus tells him, he says, uh, pick up your mat and walk. Did he have faith? I mean, did he have, he didn't know who it was Jesus, he did not know who Jesus was, he did not recognize Jesus, he had no faith. And he picked up his mat and walked. Now, this is important here. I mean, you just put yourself in that position. He doesn't know who Jesus is. We will come to realize that as we go on in this chapter. He does not know anything. He does not know Jesus has come to heal him. He does not know Jesus, the healer. He does not know anything about Jesus. And Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. So I think, now you, you must understand, 38 long years and his muscles have been atrophied. You know, it's completely useless. You know, you see some people who's, who are crippled and their legs are so thin because the muscles are wasted completely. So his muscles were 38 years, his muscles are wasted. And he can't move them. For Jesus to tell him, pick up your mat and walk, he can't even do that. He can't pick up, he can't do it. So how did he do it? Because I believe Jesus' words have power. Just remember this. Lazarus was in the cave, dead for four days. When Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Did Lazarus hear him? Did he have faith? Dead men have no faith. Dead men can hear. But he came out. And something like this has taken place. It's important for us. Why? Because the words of Jesus has power. We will come to it more and more as we go along. The words of Jesus have power. Even the dead will hear it. Even the ones who cannot walk will get up and walk because of the power in his words. He is God. In verse 13 and 14, I mean, Jesus slipped away. This man got up and walked. And you must have gone to the temple to show the priest that he's healed according to the law. The first thing the people, the, the Pharisees asked him, the Jewish leaders asked him, he says, why are you picking up your mat on the Sabbath? They couldn't understand that this man was 38 long years. He was a cripple. And here is a person who was healed. They could have rejoiced with him but they were looking at the law. You can't pick up your mat on the Sabbath. So, let us look at verse 13. The man who had healed, who was healed, had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning. Something worse may happen to you. 
The man went away and told, Jews, told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now here he says, Jesus told him, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. In this particular case, this man's sickness was linked to sin. It's not always so. In the case of a man born blind in John chapter 9, that was not linked to sin, right? Very clearly. The disciples asked Jesus, why was he born blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? He says, no. I want to glorify myself. So don't link sickness with sin. But in this case, sin and sickness was linked. Jesus knew it. The man knew it. And Jesus tells him, sin no more, otherwise something worse will happen to you. What worse can happen to a person? Of course, he can lose his salvation. He can go to hell forever and ever. And so Jesus is saying to him, look, there is an eternity that is available to you. And here is an opportunity for you to come close to God, understand his work, his salvation. Because you have been healed physically, you can be healed spiritually. And so come to God and give thanks to him and live a life of sin no more. Change, repent, and walk in the ways of God. But we come to verse 16 and 17. This is the third point. The first charge and defense. The first charge was breaking the Sabbath law and how Jesus defends himself. So, that's the first charge. Now, you see, in the Gospels, Jesus was persecuted and he was put on the, he was uh, judged by the Jewish leaders only towards the end of the Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it is when he was just going to be crucified, then they started persecuting him. But in the Gospel of John, the persecution starts from now on, from chapter 5. And onwards, the persecution starts against Jesus. And the word persecution can also be translated as prosecution. So they were prosecuting Jesus. So therefore, these charges are given there. They were prosecuting him. They're saying, you are guilty of breaking the law. You are guilty of blasphemy. Two charges. This is the first charge, breaking the Sabbath law. This is the first charge. So verse 16 to 17 is the first charge. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. This word persecute can be prosecute. In his defense, because they were prosecuting him, in his defense, he was defending himself. Like a courtroom drama, right? There was this prosecution, and he, Jesus is defending himself. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now, you must understand, these are very big things. Very big statements of Jesus. You know, Jesus could have said, Many other things. He said, can't you see the compassion? In other cases in the Gospels, he always talked about the compassion. He says, look, if your donkey, if your mule is tied up or something, wouldn't you let him free on the Sabbath day to take him to water? And here is the daughter of Abraham. She's bound for 18 long years. And if I healed her on a Sabbath, you can't see the compassion of God. 
But this time, yeah, he doesn't talk about compassion. He says something else. He says, you see, my father is working, and I too will work. Now, what is the meaning of that? The meaning is this. Yes, God rested on the Sabbath in the seven days of creation. And so, the Jews rested on the Sabbath. That was the law. The law was, you must rest on the Sabbath. So the Jews had some very strong laws concerning how you live on a Sabbath. I also had the opportunity of living amongst Jews in my childhood, and I know that during the Sabbath, they would not use money, they would not travel, they would do all sorts of things on the Sabbath. You know, that was the law. How could this person pick up his mat and walk on a Sabbath? He can't. How can you heal on a Sabbath? You can't, because that's God's law. Jesus, in his defense, said, my father is working. Of course my father is working. On a Sabbath, human beings, animals, birds, fish, also get born and also die. Even on a Sabbath, they are born and die. And everyone knows that birth and death belongs to God. So God was working on a Sabbath. And so Jesus says, my father works on a Sabbath. Do you doubt that? Of course they would not doubt it because that was Jews' understood that God works on a Sabbath for birth and death. And that was God's prerogative. He is God. And He can do that. But He told us not to work on a Sabbath. Do you understand? So, He can work, but we can't work. When Jesus says, He's working and I'm working too, He's equating Himself with God. So when this word, my Father, is very unique relationship with God. Jesus said, you know, I'm going to my father and your father. Of course, God is our father. God is my, my father. But my relationship with God is different from Jesus' relationship with God. Jesus' relationship with God, when he says my father, it's a unique relationship. And that unique relationship is that he is the son of God and that He is God Himself. And so what applies to God, applies to Jesus. So He says, my Father is walking, I too am walking. That was His defense. And so, of course, that upset the Jews. So, in verse 18, for this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill Him. Not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So, how did he make himself equal to God? Not only by saying, he is my father, but he's saying, what applies to God, applies to me. He's walking on the Sabbath, I'm walking on the Sabbath. I'm God. So, he's saying, you are not only breaking the Sabbath law, but you're saying that you are God. You know, that's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. That's the second charge. The first charge was, you are breaking the Sabbath. The second charge was blasphemy. That's a big charge. Anyone who commits blasphemy will die. They were prosecuting Jesus. Now look at Jesus'. You know, he, doesn't, he could have said, well, 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 well. Calm down a bit, all right? Just calm down a bit. You know what I mean? You know, okay, but he doesn't do that. He keeps pushing this point further and further so that everyone gets it. You know, 
Here I want to just tell you something else. Whatever applies to God applies to Jesus. And I want to read some verses to you. That is, Jesus claims equality to the Father in works and worship. And he says in verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Verse 20. Jesus is not another God which is independent from the Father. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. The Son can do nothing except what he sees the Father doing. So, Jesus is just not another independent God. There are no three gods. There is one God. Therefore, it is impossible for him to do anything apart from the Father's will. He can't do something apart from the Father's will. They are one. Totally united. Totally united. Because they have the same nature. They have the same nature. They have the same heart. What the Father does, the Son does. The glue in their relationship is love. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. That's the glue. The glue in their relationship is love. As a consequence of this love, the Father has handed over the Son even the amazing authority over life, death, and judgment. Verse 21 and 22. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. Whatever the Father does, I mean, these are divine things. Death and life and judgment. And that is in the Father's prerogative, it is also the Son's prerogative. They are same, one nature. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whomever He is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Death, life, and judgment are the prerogatives of the Father. Death, life, and judgments are given to the Son. One, one. And then, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. You can't honor the Father and not honor the Son. You can't honor the Son and not honor the Father. They are one. And so Jesus tells the Jewish leaders very openly about this. So, if you're reading the Gospels and you, think, you come to understand, where does Jesus say he's God? John chapter 5. Absolutely clear. He makes it abundantly clear. You know, sometimes when you are traveling, I mean, I travel a lot, and sometimes there's a Muslim guy next to me, and he, he's got a few questions to trap Christians. One of the questions is, where does Jesus say he's God? Then you show him that. You can show him very clearly. A hundred percent God. It also means that you can't drive a wedge between the Father and the Son. You can't drive a wedge. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Therefore, anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. That's one thing which Jesus talks about, about saying that, look, I am God. He's telling the Jewish leaders openly on their face. He doesn't back down a bit. You know, I have so many Hindu friends. They were my classmates. I grew up with them. 
And I talk to them sometimes. And they keep asking me this question. You mean to say only Jesus has come? I can't back down. You know, I can't be ashamed of it. I can't back down. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Actually, no, 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 no. It is like that. You know. No, I can't do it. I can't back down. I can't take a step backwards. I have to say yes. You mean to say there's no other God beside him? All these rams, this, that. No, there's no other God. I cannot back down. Oh, you're too exclusive, Ivan. You're like this, you're like that, you're like that. I can't back down. I can pray for them, but I cannot back down. Jesus never backed down. He never stepped aside. He said, well, you know, he never did that. He straight away openly said that he is God in the face of certain death. Certain death. Right? And then he, he talked, he says, very truly, thrice he says, very truly means, really, I'm telling you the truth. Now, in verse 24 to 30, Jesus claims equality with the Father in the words spoken. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Very truly, he says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Abraham believed God and that was credited to him as righteousness. If you believe the words of Jesus, that is credited to you as righteousness. You will not be condemned. You have crossed over from death, which is separation from God, to life, which is unity with God. That is righteousness. Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. That's in Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You believe the words of Jesus, it is credited to you as righteousness. You're crossed over from death to life and you will not be condemned. And this not being condemned is repeated in verse 25. Very truly I tell you, as has now come, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Notice two things. Jesus calls himself Son of God. And that defines his deity, he's God. And he is also called the Son of Man, which defines his Messiahship, that he is Messiah. And the Son of Man is taken from the picture in Daniel chapter 7, 13. The Son of Man comes in the clouds. He's the Messiah. Jesus is in total unity and submission to his Father in all his judgments. So remember, these things about Jesus, that he is God and that he is man. Remember that his words have life. Remember that when you believe in Jesus, you are crossed over from death to life. When you believe that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, finish, you are crossed over from death to life. 
Now, you see, he's being prosecuted. So Jesus brings witnesses, just like a legal court. He says he has his defense, and now he brings witnesses. Because according to Jewish law, whatever you speak must have witnesses. If you make a claim, you must have witnesses. Even today, if you make a claim, you must bring witnesses. Right? Evidence. So here he says, if I testify in verses 31 to 47, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. According to your law. But there is one who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. That is the Father. But he says, look, you have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. John said, behold, the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, but you didn't believe John. He testified about me. You didn't believe John. And he says, I tell you something else. Nicodemus, he came to me. And he says, you know, no one can do the works you have been doing unless he's sent by the Father. He says, that's a testimony. He says, look at my works. My works speak for itself. My works show that I have come from the Father. In verse 36, I have a weightier testimony than of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. Even Nicodemus came to know about that. People from your own leadership. Nicodemus was a Jewish leader. He said he also knew about it, that the Father is with me. The Father has testified about me. John has testified about me. He said, something more? I want to tell you something more. Even the Scriptures testify about me. Isaiah 53 will testify about me. Psalm 22 will testify about me. Right from Genesis to Malachi will testify about me. You don't want to come to me. You think that the scriptures have life, but you don't want to come to me. And now Jesus changes the whole thing. He said, I'm not on trial. You are on trial. He tells the Jewish leaders, I'm not on trial. You are on trial. He says, you know, you believe in Moses, but Moses spoke about me. In Deuteronomy, he said, there will be another prophet like me. You believe in Moses? He testified about me. But I want to say to you one thing. I will not judge you. The Moses, whom you believe, I tell you one day, will say, you don't have the love of God in your heart. So he says here, in verse 45, but do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe in what I say? Now, Jesus turns, of course, the tables on the Jewish leaders. You know, I brought this particular thing because I'm going through the book of John and I'm going through the seven signs. This is the third sign. But what can we learn from this? And something I really want to leave something with you. What can you learn from this? From the healing of the invalid man for 38 years, 38 long years, I think about him and I see this man never lost hope. He didn't know much, but he never lost hope. And with Jesus, was watching. 38 years, Jesus knew that he suffered from 38 years. Jesus sees your prayers. God is faithful, I'm telling you. He will break every stronghold that you have. He's faithful. Every stronghold, every problem, whether your children 
whether your mate, whether your, your spouse, whether your close relatives, whatever be your problems, God is seeing them and never lose hope. God will break through. God is going to bless you. And believe that and continue your walk with God. Believe, never lose hope with God. With God, all things are possible. Never, never lose hope. But you know, the healing of that invalid man was an act of mercy and grace. But Jesus was telling him, don't sin anymore. He was guiding him into truth. And all will break through in your life. But he's guiding you into truth. The truth is that there is life in Jesus. There is life in him. There is far more than healing. There is far more than breaking your problems. But he's interested to give you life. I have struggled with many things in my life. And some for a very long time. And I see God breaking through in my life. Breaking through. And I just want to worship him even more. In the face of secularism, never withdraw. Always say, Jesus is Lord. Never be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as you read God's Word, Jesus says, you search the Scriptures, but you do not come to me. This is in this chapter. As you read the Bible, come to Jesus. You know, the song, we will come and bow down before you, Lord Jesus. In your presence, there is fullness and joy. What a song. As you read the Scriptures, know that Jesus is there at your side. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. Don't rush through the Scriptures. Take your time. Take your time in reading it. This is what I do, and I found this very useful. I read one chapter in the morning. I read one chapter at noon and one chapter before I go to sleep. But if I read one chapter, I can give it time. If I read three or four chapters, I can't give it much time. But if I read only one chapter, it takes me a very short time, but then I interact with Jesus. I interact with him. And every sentence I stop, because Jesus wants to give me life. You search the scriptures, but you must come to Jesus. You know, when you come to a promise, I say, Lord, this promise is for me. Of course it is for you, because all the promises are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Whatever promises are there in the Bible, it is for you in Christ Jesus. He is God. His words have life. He is God. So whatever promises are there, linger with those promises. Wherever there is a command, I say to myself, Lord, teach me. I use the formula Thai, T-I-E. Lord, teach me. Inspire me and empower me to obey this command. So I interact with Jesus. T-I-E. It's very simple. I try to use these formulas so that it gives people a chance, it gives them a handle. I really love reading the Scriptures. Because in the Scriptures, Jesus comes and meets with you. He breaks through in your life. It doesn't matter how much you understand what matters is your devotion to Jesus. And Jesus sees your heart, and you will find that your life is changing. Because even the dead year and are changed. And you're certainly not dead. 
you know, you're certainly not dead. So as you read the words of Jesus, every single word of his has power. The Bible says no word of God is without power. Now, finally, why did Jesus all the time heal on the Sabbath? I mean, he could have done Monday to, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but on the Sabbath. Why? Often he offends our minds. And in life, your mind will be offended. And all the muck will come out when the minds are offended. You're guaranteed, I'm giving you guarantee, your mind is going to be offended during your lifetime. In some situation or the other, your mind is going to be offended. And when your mind is offended, all your hackles will rise. You get upset. It happened to me often, absolutely often. I look at Psalm 131 and I say, Lord, my heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not conserve myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have still then quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. I always try to quieten myself. God, I don't understand. Yes, I'm offended, but I'm going to be quiet. You know, what's the alternative? The alternative is to get angry and start playing politics and play games. And that is horrible. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than then rejoice in the tent of the wicked. Because I'm not going to play games and I'm not going to play politics. I'm going to quieten myself and humble myself and I say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. So when your minds are offended, always remember, calm down and trust in God. God will reward you, my brother. God does nothing more important than your intimacy with Jesus. Nothing more important. Nothing more important than intimacy with Jesus. Just release things in the hands of the Lord and trust in God. And God will be with you. Intimacy with Christ. He is God. Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.